If you want to crush your quota, you're in the right place. My first year in sales, I sold $758,000 on a $150,000 quota, and that was just the beginning. I'm your host, Mary Grothy. I'm a former number one B2B mid-market SaaS sales rep turned CEO. I've sold millions in revenue, broken multiple records, and now I run a company that rebuilds revenue engines and creates top sales performance. This isn't a show about achieving quota. This isn't about being okay in sales. This is about being number one and learning what it takes to crush your quota. I always chuckle when people say objection handling. It sounds like a rodeo or something, like you have to jump on and wrangle a wild animal when those objections pop up. And I think that's a term that's just been out for a very long time. I think that some people have tried to coin new phrases like pivoting around objection or I don't know. The the deal is I love objections and I'm thankful for them when they come up in the sales process. But I believe that there are two types of objections, ones that you should uh, warm welcome to the point where you embrace them so highly that if you don't hear them in the sales process, that you actually bring them up yourself and get the prospect talking about them. And we could talk more about that. But then there are objections that are a result of you not following a good process and they should be avoided. So there's ways, especially in outbound prospecting, where you're triggering the buyer because your outbound is weak. And those objections can be avoided, those standard objections like, we're not interested, we have a provider, we're, we're happy, take me off your list, uh, what are you selling? And there's, there's ways in that response that those types can be reduced or avoided. But there's something about objections that I just love because they create conversations for me. And I would prefer that a buyer brings it up with me while we're talking versus after I'm not talking to them (laughs) because then I can't be there to respond to it. But we're going to dig in deep to objections today. And I don't want to have this conversation with myself, although it could be fun. But I figured I'd bring on somebody that is so knowledgeable on this topic and so well-respected. I got to be on his podcast last month and holy smokes, It's like all of a sudden I almost reached almost his celebrity status just by being on his podcast. I had dozens of people reaching out, connecting. The LinkedIn post had so much engagement on it. He is a gem in this space. His name is Jason Bay. I adore him. He's the chief prospecting officer at Blissful Prospecting. Plus, that's like a cool name. (laughs) Take something that people normally don't like doing and call it Blissful. Hmm, I like that. But he helps reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with prospects, but they hate not getting responses to their cold emails or feeling confident making cold calls. And I'm sure that sounds familiar to most of you. It's definitely not the fun part of the job, as most people would say. However, sales is the only, I love this, adult job that Jason has ever had. And he's done everything from selling house painting services door to door, running outbound call centers, and helping hundreds of reps master cold outreach. Welcome to the show, Jason. I'm excited for this. That was one heck of an intro. Thank you. (laughs) If anybody deserves one heck of an intro, it's you. (laughs) So let's do this. I know you. And I'm sure like millions of people know you, but for the few people that don't, why don't you tell us your story? I want to hear the background and share with our audience who you are. Yeah. So I never thought that I would get into sales 
because I'm, I'm pretty introverted. Um, and I was very introverted in high school, especially, um, you know, I had a lot of friends played sports and all that stuff, but I didn't really know anyone that was in sales and I didn't really actually know very many people that ran a business. So I decided like, cause I watched a lot of CSI that I would become like a forensic scientist essentially. <laughs> so that's what I went to college for. And when I started taking the classes, what I quickly realized is that basically a forensic scientist, there was like two of them in the entire state of Oregon. And you kind of sit in a lab all day analyzing evidence. Like you don't even know what case it's for, you know? So I was like, that's a little too introverted for me. And someone came into my classroom and talked about, you know, Hey, you want to make $10,000 over the summer, uh, run a house painting business. And I was like, yeah, sign me up, you know, cause I worked at a mill the summer before, like stacking wood on a cart for 60 hours a week, you know, to make like four or five grand. So I was like, I'll do anything besides that. And I didn't even actually realize that it was a sales job. And in the springtime around like February, that's like when you kind of start and build your like Rolodex of clients in the spring. And I go and sit in the sales training they had, there's, you know, maybe 50, 60 people in there. And like, yeah, you're going to be going door to door and you're going to be marketing and we're going to teach you how to sell. And that's a two hour process and objections and, and all this stuff. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like well, I'm going to be knocking on doors. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was like really nervous and just had a lot of anxiety around like going door to door in a small town of 6,000 people and all that other stuff. But um, I ended up doing really well. So I, I was the top uh, manager in the state that year, sold $100,000 worth of house painting services and made about 27 grand uh, for school between the spring and summer. So I was like, I love sales, <laughs> you know, and there was a couple of, you know, things that I found that, you know, that I did sort of better than a lot of other people. And one was like that door to door aspect and like teaching people how to do that. So this is like in 2008 and there's like two big lessons I learned that I think are really relevant to like B2B prospecting too. And, and one of them was like, just because people need their house painted doesn't mean that they actually value that sort of thing. So like when I would go into neighborhoods where maybe eight out of every 10 houses needed painting, uh, what I found is that literally like no one was interested in talking to me versus a neighborhood where there maybe like one out of every 10 houses needed painting. And it was like in neighborhoods that were nice, like had nice mm -hmm. landscaping, like these people actually valued what their house looked like. I think that's a, you know, big thing with B2B prospecting is like, there are a lot of people out there that, you know, maybe need like your product or service, but that doesn't mean that they value it. You know, and like really what you're trying to find when you're prospecting is like a commonality in values. And like with objection handling, I think one thing we have to be okay with is like, if the person doesn't want to meet with you because they don't value the thing that you can help them with or the problem you can help them solve, like that's totally okay. You know? And then the other thing that I learned too, that is again, very relevant to you know, B2B prospecting is that when I talked about house painting a lot at the person's door, like they, no one was interested in meeting with me because they're like, we don't need our house painted. Like it's the spring. Like we don't do that until summer. I do it myself, et cetera. Versus me coming in and saying, Hey, I noticed that you had some peeling paint on your window board over here. Not, not sure if you saw it or noticed it, but I'd love to talk with you uh, about like what some of your neighbors are doing to like, you know, either change the color of their home or protect it a little bit more through the through this next winter or to fix some of the peeling paint or whatever it might be. And it was really about like, how can I get this person just interested in talking to me at a later time versus like actually trying to sell them on like painting right there. And that was like, you know, big takeaway there is like, how do we prospect to start conversations instead of making sales? Cause like prospecting and selling are two totally different skill sets, you know, mm -hmm. and with prospecting, I think people make a mistake and this is why they get a lot of objections is they, is they're actually trying to like sell their thing.
And they talk a lot about like, hey, my name's Jason. I'm with Blissful Prospecting and we do sales training. And I'd love to talk to you about the training you're doing with your team right now. Like that, those are the prospecting conversations we have. And people are like, dude, we're, we're good. Like we do our own training mm. versus like focusing on a problem that they might have and then having a conversation around that. So that's kind of how my career got started. I you know, spent seven years with them um, in various different management roles. And then uh, we've been doing Blissful Prospecting for the last three or four years. And I've kind of been consulting and working with B2B businesses for about seven or eight years, um, helping them with this. So that was kind of the long, long-winded answer to your question there, Mary. <laughs> I love long-winded answers because it makes me feel better about myself as a human being. Is <laughs> the joke's <laughs> always, I can't say anything in less than 5,000 words. And the cool thing is, though, I have had people tell me, and I would extend the same to you, I'm, I may talk a lot but at least I'm saying something because there are people who talk a lot and still don't say anything. Your five minutes there or however long that is has so many golden nuggets in there. And I want to unpack those real quick. One of the biggest call outs that I hope the audience heard, one of the biggest hiccups in your prospecting and the reason that you're getting objections, number one, could be because you're selling in the wrong neighborhood. Meaning you might have demographics of an ICP ideal client profile. Could be, I sell B2B, mid-market, anybody between 500 to 5,000 employees in manufacturing, professional services, or technology industries. Okay, and I typically sell to the CFO. I'm making this up. All right, that's one set of information. That's like Jason saying, I sell to someone who owns a home. Okay, great in a certain geographic yeah. area, because I know you had to put canvas. But there's a difference between a CFO of a 500-employee manufacturing company who values the problem that you solve versus a CFO of a 500-employee manufacturing company who values it. Like It's a big difference. Just because they fit the profile on paper does not mean that their psychographics, which are those lifestyle characteristics, those are the ones that get into that emotional state where they're emotionally experiencing challenges from a problem that's that they're incurring and they have a, aligned and assigned a specific value to solving that problem. It means something to them. When you're prospecting, I have found that the quicker you can find those aligned with that value, it'll set you free. And it's not who's going to buy, but what Jason was saying is who's ready to engage in a conversation about potentially solving that problem. I, I wanted to reiterate that so you all can truly hear how important that is. When I started in mid-market sales, they gave me the profile, sell any company that is above 50 employees in your geographic area. Sweet. So I thought like everybody would buy from me with more than yeah. 50 employees in my territory. But there's a shocking difference between the ones who are ready, willing, and committed to solve the problem they have and those where it doesn't really matter. So I wanted to just pull that out because there's an extreme amount of value in what you said there. Additionally, I'm really encouraged by your comment about prospecting versus selling. So you've had several years consulting B2B companies on this. So how do you typically start engaging to identify their challenges with prospecting? What are those the common first steps that you have when you engage with a company? So I'm really big on frameworks. I 
believe in like framework for everything. So like the first framework that we'll go through is like kind of an exercise to identify like where they're weakest. Cause I look at prospecting in three buckets. So if you imagine like three circles, um, that look kind of like a, a Venn diagram, but they're laid out horizontally on the very left, you would have a circle with the word identify in it. And that's your ability to identify good fit companies and the people at those companies. So in other words, our ideal client profile, uh, does this represent the companies that we can help the best that value fixing this type of problem? Uh, the people, um, are we reaching out to the right personas? Are, and typically what I find is, are we going high enough up in the company? A lot of people, I'm, I'm a fan of going both like top down and bottoms up. I think you could do both at the same time. But I find that a lot of people are like you know, a little hesitant and have some resistance around like starting at the sea level, for example. Oh, and yeah. um, they end up not, yeah, they end up not moving things through fast enough because of that. Um, and then the other thing I find too in this identify section is that, you know, people are not multi-threading. So if you're reaching out to a company with a thousand people, like, dude, like prospect to like four or five, six people, you know, there might be cross, you know, there might be multiple departments affected by the thing that you're selling. So like, don't just focus on like, once you've identified the C-level person and it's the CFO, like in the example you gave, like the CFO works with a lot of other people at that company too, um, that can get your foot in the door. So there's that identify bucket and we go through, are we reaching out to the right companies and the right people at those companies? The middle bucket is engage. And the engage bucket is our messaging and sequences. So our ability to start a conversation. And typically what I find in our messaging is that it's very product and feature focused. And it doesn't really kind of get above that and look at, well, with this person I'm reaching out to, like, what are this person's job priorities? Like, what do they care about most? And like, what are the things that are related to how you can help that are getting in the way of them doing the things that they want to do more of? And with the sequencing, it's, like, do we have a contact strategy that's, you know, multi-touch? Is it 12 to 15 plus touches across two to three channels? Are we using email, phone, and LinkedIn? And typically people are really adverse to using the phone is what I find. They rely a lot on email and social. And then, you know, is it, you know, 30 to 45 days? So there's like good kind of baseline starting points. And I find that people, again, are not, either not using the phone or, like the number of touches is like they'll send three or four emails to someone and then move on to the next person. Um, that's just, that's not going to work if you're selling mid market and enterprise, <laughs> you know, you need to be more persistent than that. And then uh, the third, yeah. yeah, the third bucket is convert. So that's your ability to secure a meeting. So when we look at this, there's two other big problem areas that kind of connect these buckets together. The thing that it connects, identify, engage together is your ability to identify the problem and their aspirations. So typically, again, where I find people, you know, not really quite getting the messaging down is like they aren't able to actually articulate the problem that the person might be having that they could help with. And then between engage and convert, once we start conversations with people, this is kind of the topic for today. It's like to convert and like get a meeting out of this. Typically, you're going to have to objection handle. And part of that's going to be preventing objections. The other part's going to be, well, dude, people are just going to say not interested to you in the first 15 seconds of your call. How do you handle that? Or people are going to say they're using another provider. You know, what? how are you going to handle that? So those are kind of the, like, three big buckets that we look at to, like, really identify, like, what's what's the actual problem here? And I think we'll share similar opinions on this. Like, objection handling is usually a symptom of, like, poor messaging, mm -hmm. right? Um, or it's, like, a symptom of, like, in your messaging, you weren't really talking about the problem that you solve. You're just talking about your solution and, like, what it is. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's, that's usually exactly at the, right. at the root. So this process is so easy to follow. And I love the visual of the Venn diagram and how you were talking about that. So straightforward. So let's say we get to that point. Let's let's have you share with us about preventing objections and then what to do when we get them. Yeah. So, so I have another framework around this. It's called um, EVO is the acronym. It's Empathize, Validate, and Offer. And if we actually kind of start in reverse order of like how to handle an objection, this will actually make the prevention part a little bit easier. So uh, the EVO, if you if you picture a process that's like um, empathize and validate, you're going to do those two things first. And then you put a little arrow to the right of that. And then you can go into the offer stage for like next steps. And then once you figure that part out, then you can do the exer- exercise of like reverse engineering, like how to prevent it. So just to kind of set this up a little bit, what I find happening when people are handling objections is they get into this loop that I call the objection rebuttal infinity loop. And you, you're a big fan of therapy. So this is based off the relationship dance. I don't know if you've heard of that concept before. So I've gone to couples therapy. Have you heard of it actually? No, but I'm okay. really intrigued. So the relationship dance essentially is like, um, and again, I learned this in couples therapy. The the thing where you can kind of get in trouble is where you're just like expressing the frustration, but not talking about how it makes you feel. So for example, I'll use a really silly example. Um, I forget to take out the trash. And then uh, my wife, Sarah, is like, you forgot to take out the trash. Like, And then I think like, well, I was going to take it out later. Like, you can depend on me. Like, I'm not an idiot. Like, I start going into all these places where it's like, a, you did this. No, you did this. No, you're right. Uh, or no, you're wrong. Uh, no, you're wrong. It's like kind of goes in this like weird little loop. So if you uh, like, how does this apply to objection handling? Like the way that we can get caught in this loop is if you imagine like an infinity circle, like a sideways eight on the left side at the top, you have the objection. Um, I don't have time right now. And then as you start to go down through the loop to the other side on the bottom of that loop, how does that make you feel? Usually makes you feel under- misunderstood because you're thinking, well, the person said, I don't have time right now. Well, I only need 30 seconds to tell them why I'm calling. It only takes a minute to schedule a meeting with you. And then you hop back up and you go up that loop again on the right side at the top and you come back with a rebuttal. So you say something like this, well, I only need 30 seconds of your time and then we can figure out a time that works for you. How does that sound? And then it goes back down the loop and how does that make the prospect feel? Misunderstood. Another example, prospect gives an objection. We already have a provider. You feel like, oh, God, well, don't they know that we're so much better than them? So you come back with a rebuttal. Well, hey, what I found is that you know a lot of people using that solution actually end up switching over to ours because of this reason. I'd love to talk to you about it. And the prospect is thinking, again, feeling misunderstood and thinking, well, dude, doesn't this person understand that like I'm already taken care of and that I'm good? Like, is this person listening? So the way that we can like break that loop is like through the empathizing piece. So that was that other framework that I talked about, the Evo framework, the empathize, validate, offer. Like we can break that cycle with, with empathy. And the way that we might do that is something like this. So with, with empathy, we want to talk to what we think the prospect is thinking or feeling. So if we use a really common shallow objection, um, I open up a cold call. Hey, this is Jason with Blissful Prospecting and the prospect's like not interested. So I'm thinking like, well, what is, where are they coming from? It's probably like a reflexive response and they're probably busy, right? They might've thought I was someone else, might be in the middle of something, whatever it might be. So I'm just going to say that. Um, Hey, totally understand, Mary. Sounds like I caught you in the middle of something. And then the validate part is I'm going to reinforce that that's okay that you said not interested. So, Hey, sounds like I caught you in the middle of something. 
And you know what? If that's the case, I could totally understand why my, why now might not be the best time for you to take a call from a complete stranger, right? And you can have a little fun with it if you want. So, mm-hmm. hey, heard you. Totally okay. And then you can go into the offer piece. So this is like the question part of it. Uh, but hey, would it be a bad idea if I you know, took a minute here? I could tell you a little bit more about you know why I'm calling because I did a bunch of research on your company. And then you can let me know if you want to keep chatting or not. So that's that, you know, upfront contract Sandler calls that. Uh, that's a permission-based, you know, sort of element into prospecting. So I'll kind of pause well, another- there. We kind of walk through like a couple frameworks, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So another thing that you did is you said, is it a bad idea? And so there's a psychological play here because people are inclined to want to make things better. And so it, it, and they'll go like an opposite direction. So if we say, Hey, did I catch you at a good time? It's easy to go opposite and be like, no, I'm right in the middle of something. But if you say, did I catch you at a bad time? It's unbelievable. They're actually more inclined to say, I got a minute. Why? What's going on? Because you're already aligning with the objection that they were going to give you. But if you've already put it out there first, hey, did I catch you in the middle of something? Did I catch you at a bad time? Is now a bad time? Is it a bad idea? There's a ton of evidence to prove that that is a very powerful way to structure your outbound sentences. So this framework is extremely powerful. And I do love both the relationship dance and understanding the infinity circle and that we're inclined because of how we are triggered internally. When we hear an objection, we usually don't take it the right way. (laughs) We're conditioned to be like, oh, shoot, I did something wrong. I did something bad. I misunderstood. They didn't get it. And so we're very quick to correct them and to bring in the rebuttal. But that is not the right way to get on the prospect sidewalk, to be on the same page, to be there with them in the conversation. And so that is a phenomenal framework to be able to level set and get them to see that uh, you're really diffusing the situation by bringing in empathy. So I think that that makes complete sense to me. Yeah. It's like just some basic acknowledgement. Like if we use the relationship dance again, it's like, uh, cause I didn't really talk about what the right way to respond to my wife, Sarah saying, Jason, you forgot to take out the trash. Like some empathy there would be like thinking about, well, she's probably feeling frustrated and for good reason. I said I was going to do something and I forgot to do it. Um, so if I just said, um, Hey, I can totally understand. It sounds like you might be a little frustrated. And I, I think for good reason, I said that I was going to do this and I didn't do it completely disarms the situation, (laughs) right? Then it becomes a different conversation of, well, you know, hey, you keep forgetting this. Like, how can we make this more of a habit? But she's at least not going to be like, dude, like, you know, WTF, all caps, you know, kind of thing. And it's going to be more of like, okay, this person understands why I'm frustrated. And they're letting me know that it's totally okay that I am. So we need to do that, like, as a salesperson, when we're prospecting, like, we need to take the ownership on ourselves to, like, understand where the person's coming from and to acknowledge and, like, validate that. And then we can go in and ask for what we want. The keystone habit, I would say this probably applies for sales across the board too, but especially prospecting. Like if you made this a habit, this would just fix almost everything. It's this concept of like you first, me second. Mm -hmm. So like the prospect needs to get what they want out of the interaction first, and then I can ask what I want. Yeah. I've heard that with you. They can't hear you until they feel heard. Yeah. That's a good one. Feel free to use it. Yeah. Love it. 
Um, so that's kind of how we can like break the loop. There's lots of different variations if you want to go into like more specific objections on like how to work through it. But it really it starts with like empathize, validate, then you can go in for the offer. And then you might think about like the prevention piece. If you're getting a lot of really shallow objections, like not interested, I don't have time. And like people are cutting you off in the beginning of the call. My guess and from the, all the recordings that I listen to is you're probably not doing one of the following. You're probably not right when the person picks up saying, hey, this is Jason with Blissful Prospecting. Like immediately introduce yourself. Don't hide your company name. Uh, don't hide your name. Like reduce the anxiety for the uh, prospect right off the top by introducing yourself. I call it removing the surprise. And the other thing I uh, catch that people don't do is there, there isn't any sort of permission-based element to the beginning of the call either. So normally it's like Mary picks up and I'm like, hey, this is Jason with Blissful Prospecting. The reason I was calling is because we run a sales training company. We've actually worked with companies like A, B, and C um, who are very similar to yours. And one of the ways that we've been helping them uh, with their prospecting is through our training programs. And we've increased their response rates by up to 20%. And we focus on objection handling, uh, cold yeah. email. It's like, dude, Jesus. I'd hang up on you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how most people call. And I find if you're not doing one of those two things where you're introducing yourself quickly and then have a permission-based element, allow the prospect to opt in to the call. If you're not doing those two things, like I find that that prevents most of the, like the really shallow objections that are just like reflexive responses. I've heard people call them like the not interested. Now's not a good time. All that stuff. Like people are usually saying that because they're completely tuning out and you haven't allowed them to like engage with you in the call. Agreed. You have to allow that point of engagement. I'm a CEO. I get prospected. I wish I would get prospected more because it gives me such good material. And I love when salespeople call me and I love when they leave voicemails. I want to hear what's happening in the world of sales. I'm like a nerd on that. I want to hear what people are doing. I don't want to get spammed all day with lousy auto emails and terrible LinkedIn pitches. And I, I miss the art of selling. I miss being prospected via phone with everything shifting in 2020. There was a huge drop off for me getting prospected. And I actually enjoy, it's just the nature of what I do. I enjoy being prospected. I like talking to salespeople and I always want to see what that intro is. And I'm a CEO. If somebody called me with that example that you had, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. And I would hang up. And even though that's yeah. like so mean to do, but I would. It's like, there's no value here. You're not engaging me at all in this conversation. But if you said, Hey, Mary, it's Jason at Blissful Prospecting. Did I catch you in a bad time? I have a quick question. I'd be like, no, Jason, what's going on? You just need the prospect. It's that permission-based. Mary, are you in the middle of something or can I just ask you a quick, quick question? Do you have just a quick, you know, did I catch you? Is it, is it whatever? Get the permission going. If you ask me that, you have my intention. Now I've given you permission and now I'm listening. I wouldn't be listening with the other one. So that is so important. All right. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left and I want to do something really valuable for our listeners. The top three objections. I'm not interested. I'm happy with my current provider. And what do you think is the top third Take me off your list. <laughs> I don't get that one as much. Like most of the companies I work with are in really competitive industries that are not like blue ocean. So like the the other provider is usually the big one okay. um, that I hear. Like we're already taken care of. So some form of like we're either doing this ourselves or we're already using a solution. 
Okay, so let's, I'm going to share my favorite response Mm -hmm. and then you share yours. Uh, (laughs) We're not interested. I love saying, is it the timing of the year or what we do? What do you like saying? Yeah, I mean, I like going in. You could use that as a a, a part of that, um, but I yeah, I like the empathize, validate, and offer. So it depends on when I get the not interested. But I'm going to go. Hey, sounds like I might have caught you in the middle of something, or hey, sounds like you might be taken care of. And um, I could, you know, if that's the case, I could totally understand why you might not want to talk uh, right now. But would it be a bad idea if I took a minute or two? I had like two or three questions uh, just to see if this is even be relevant for you, and if it's even worth talking about again. Does that sound fair? Yeah, look at that. So again, I went with the quick hit. The Evo came back in one. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's I like I think either framework. will work. I think it's like whatever works for you. Like, um, like I would do that. Um, I think if if it's like if you can just meet the person where they're at real quick with that empathize piece. I mean, then you could you could also do this. You could say, um, yeah, hey, it sounds like I might have caught you in the middle of something. Um, which if you know if that's the case, totally understand. I've just got a quick question for you though. Is it, and then you could ask your question. Sure. You know, is it, it is. what Get I offered or the timing or whatever it might be, right? So just mm-hmm. like that little bit of acknowledgement right off the bat, I find helps. Yeah. So back in uh, my last stint, 2014 to 2017, selling for a Fortune 1000 company, B2B mid-market sales, we had the, we're happy with our current provider. Our famous rebuttal, which is probably so overdone now, was... <sighs> This is so bad. Like, I'm sure I, I don't even know if I want to admit this, but say, well, that's what I expected you to say. I called you. You didn't call me. If you were unhappy, you probably would have done the outbound here, but I'm the one that took the chance to call you. And <laughs> I also had a counterpart on my TV who sat behind me who would say, hear me out. If I actually called you, on that exact moment in time when you said, turns out we're extremely unhappy. I'm so glad you called me. Say, I would immediately hang up this phone and go buy every lottery ticket that's out there. Trust me, that's never happened in my career. And so there was just meeting that prospect with humor out of the gate and trying to engage with them at that point and try to get the chuckle out of it. But in this scenario, do you have anything specific that you like saying outside of the standard Evo? Are there any specific talk tracks that you bring in on that happy with our current provider? I mean, you said the one earlier too about, well, that's typically what we hear when we speak to fill in the blank customers. Now, year over year, we earn about 65% of our annual business from that company. And here's the reasons why they switch. It's like, let's not go down that path. Do you have any good talk tracks or do you have anything in there outside the Evo or do you just all day, every day, I just trust the Evo? Uh, Evo, but it's going to be a little different because this is actually a valid like objection usually. Usually people aren't saying this if they don't actually have something in place versus the not right now, not interested. Those are kind of like not interested why. You know, there's kind of a second layer to that. So there's a couple of different things I recommend for this um, that you could try. So if we do the empathize and validate piece, that could sound something like this. Um, hey, Mary, I mean, sounds like you might be taken care of here in the validate piece. And if that's the case, I'm sure you're wondering, like, why would I want to continue talking to Jason if I already have a solution that I'm pretty happy with? So I'm going to call out the thing that they're probably thinking, like, why would I want to continue talking to someone if I'm already taking care of? I'm already doing this myself. Mm-hmm. And then the offer piece, um, there's a bunch of different ways that you can do this. One uh, tactic that I like a lot is if you can talk about a common problem that people share about that competing solution. 
So for example, I'm working with a company uh, right now. Uh, I have an NDA, so I can't say the exact company. It's a video conferencing solution. <laughs> so there's okay. very few of those, right? It's one of those companies and they have a lot of competition. And one of the things that we're doing with them is like, how can you research and look at the competing solutions like review sites, like on g2.com and look at what people complain about with those solutions. So you could do something like this. Um, hey, Mary, totally hear you. Sounds like you're, you're probably taken care of in this area. And I'm, I'm sure you're wondering, you know, why would I want to continue talking about ABC solution if you already got something in place? Well, I was really curious because I was doing some research on the other solutions out there. And it looks like you're using solution A, if I uh, understand correctly. Sometimes what I hear is that um, when people are using these types of solutions, they have to use like two or three other tools to make it work with like their phone system and like all this other stuff. And it just creates a lot of stress, you know, for the IT department. Are you running into anything else uh, like that right now with the way that you're currently running into things? Or, hey, is that something that you guys run across right now? Is that something you guys have put thought into? Or, hey, I'm curious is there anything that you're doing to like kind of remove the complexity of these tools so that it's a little easier, more cost efficient for you guys? Yeah. Or what has IT said to you, whether in passing or in a formal meeting about that? Yeah. So another thing that you could do too is um, just real quick. So you could use that same, you know, hey, sounds like you got something good in place. You're probably wondering why you should continue talking to me, et cetera. And so another thing that I hear oftentimes too with people selling tools is, yeah, and it looks like you're using um, solution A, which which is a great solution, by the way. But in our research and, and talking to a lot of people um, that use that, oftentimes what we hear is that like, you know, IT spends a lot of time implementing the solution. And it's really frustrating for them because the salespeople using it don't really like it and they don't end up using it very often. Um, I'm curious is like, what's what's the usage look like at your company? Do, do people really like the tools that you're currently using? Is it kind of a mixed bag? Like, what are you hearing? I love that. What are you hearing? I, I like to avoid some of the quick yes or no questions on that. I want to open mm -hmm. up conversation. And so I think that's a very good example. Also, when you pull in other key stakeholders, now it's off of them. Now we're asking what IT has to say. Now we're asking about salesperson adoption or feedback that they've received from the sales team. It pulls it off of them and it goes into key stakeholders within the company and the actual experience and adoption of it, which I think it helps transition the conversation and the focus off of this person saying yes or no to talking to you and engaging in a meaningful conversation that shows that you know a thing or two about what you're talking about. So I think we've got to wind down here. I think that that is a phenomenal way to wrap this up. The deal here is we've given you very specific ways to handle two of these top objections. Jason clearly has a beautiful framework. He's available to come work with your organization. I mean, I mean, Jason, are you taking on more clients? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> okay. I'd be like, well, I didn't mean to put you out there. You'd be like, Mary, I'm full right now. I've got a wait list, a, de a demand for my service, which I <laughs> wouldn't think is a possibility. Anyway, um, any last words of wisdom? If so, please share. If not, uh, go ahead and wrap us up and tell us how people can connect with you. Yeah, I would say one thing is like really think about it's good that we got like specific with like words and phrases. I think like make sure to understand the framework and like the why components of it so that you can like make some of this your own. Just understand like I got to empathize with people and like meet them where they're at and get them what they need first, some acknowledgement, and then I can go in and ask for what I want. Like make sure that that framework is in place. And then some of these words and phrases and things that you can use, like, yeah, I think you can make it your own. And that's where I find the magic is, is that you'll find ways that you feel comfortable, you know, with this that work. Um, but yeah, so there's a couple ways that you can uh, connect with us. 
Uh, so one is, you know, blissfulprospecting.com. Our website's got all of our free content available on there. So we have a podcast that comes out a couple times a week. I post daily on LinkedIn. There's a guide on there called reply method, like an email structure, all that good stuff. Um, so I would check out blissfulprospecting.com if you're looking for some like content and things like that. And then if you're looking for some support, either as an individual or as a company, um, we have prospecting boot camps. So these are where you can do like a private version for your company. And we do public boot camps too, where you can come in and, you know, get content in course format for this stuff, get some coaching around it. And we focus a hundred percent on prospecting. So it's that identify, engage, convert process. You'll get everything you need to go from what I like to call reluctant to confident when it comes to your cold calls, your cold emails, your objection handling, whatever it might be, like give you the systems and framework, you know, and a, uh, a place to start, you know, some, a good foundation to start with so that you feel confident you know, when you're prospecting. I love that. Reluctant to confident. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, uh, that's amazing. I need a marketer like that. Just kidding. <laughs> it's taking me so long to say that. Um, anyway, I love it, Jason. I'm so thankful you were here today. I think the world of you, I know our audience will too. I cannot wait for them to connect with you. And let's definitely connect again, whether it's on your podcast or mine, but we need to do it again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. This is awesome. This is fun. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Quota Crusher podcast. Did you like it? Be sure to give us a rating and share it with your friends. And don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Lastly, if your company needs a boost in revenue, like real revenue growth, send me a message and we'll discuss how our team builds revenue engines for our clients, covering all facets like marketing, sales, rev ops, and customer success. Until next time.